Hey guys, welcome to On She Goes the Podcast, episode 8, entitled Relax, Relate, Release. Uh, we are going to be talking about self-care. We're going to be talking about yoga in the POC space. And uh, today we're going to be interviewing B.B. McGill, former lead guitarist for Beyonce's band The Sugar Mamas, as well as a yogi. And uh, we're also going to be talking to Sarah Wesley, my little sister, who is also a yogi practicing comedic yoga in Egypt currently. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, I am interviewing today my little sister, uh, Sarah Wesley. I'm super excited about it. She's great. And she's also an avid solo traveler as well as a yogi. Uh, Sarah's currently in Cairo, uh, but she went to Nubia. Correct, Sarah? Tell me if, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you should just tell us your journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I, um, I live in Luxor, which is the ancient capital of Egypt. And it's kind of in the middle. It's along the Nile. But right now I'm in Cairo um, for about two weeks. You are super well known in uh, our family for just like picking up and going. What made you want (laughs) to pick up and move to Egypt? Like what brought you there? I know you went to India a little while ago. You were like, hey, I bought a ticket to India. It was a one way. See ya. I'm like, "Okay, bye. Um, (laughs) You know, you know, I love traveling um, and it's always been within me to explore and see different cultures and really just challenge myself and challenge what I know. Um, So I went to India last, well, 2016, I went in October for a month. And my, my inspiration was to focus on yoga. But once I got there, I just wanted to explore the culture more than yoga. Um, and then I came back to Los Angeles where I live, where, um, I practice yoga on a daily basis. I go to the yoga studios in Los Angeles and I came across something called, um, Kemetic yoga. I was attracted to it because it's African yoga. It's based in Kemet, which is the ancient land of Ethiopia, Egypt, and Sudan. So I quickly signed up for this yoga training, finished the yoga training in Luxor, which is where I live now, went south to, um, to Nubia right after I finished the yoga training, went swimming in the Nile, Sarita, and after I submersed myself in the water, I came up and knew that I had to stay on this land. So I... I canceled my flight to Los Angeles two hours after after the swim in the Nile and emailed my job and told them, hey, I'd really like to work remotely because I'm going to stay in Africa. I'm going to stay in Egypt. And luckily they agreed. So here I am four months, four months later, and I live in Egypt. That's amazing. Okay, so first, let's. I want to ask you some questions about picking up and just leaving and traveling alone. Um, essentially, when you go to these places, you're by yourself all the time. Um, yeah. What is that like for you? You, you always seem to make friends. Um, so, you know, because, I mean, I see your pictures and it's always like, oh, this is my boy so-and-so. And I'm like, who is that? Right. So, <laughs> how is the uh, solo travel for you? Do you prefer it? You know, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I 
definitely prefer solo travel because I am very independent and I'm also very impulsive and impatient. Maybe it's because I'm an Aries, maybe, I don't know, but I really enjoy being able to make decisions whenever and wherever and then just follow my intuition. So um, when you travel with people, you, that can kind of get in the way because you have to you know, consider the group and consider what everyone likes or prefers or what they want to do. And, you know, you have, you're kind of stuck to that, um, you're kind of stuck with the group. So when you travel alone, you kind of end up in places you normally wouldn't. You're much more approachable, I think. Um, it's less intimidating if you're with a group, if you're by yourself than with a group of people. So I think that's another reason why I've been able to make friends along the way is because you're by yourself. So someone might come up to you and say, hey, like, do you know where this is, or hey, are you alone? Where are you from? Are you traveling? And, you know, many people ask me, like, how are you a female and you're safe? You keep yourself safe and you're traveling. Um, do you ever get scared? Do you ever, you know, question whether or not this is the right thing to do? And I, um, I guess this is, it's kind of a spiritual answer for me because I really feel like I'm protected. And I think that's on a level that's deeper than just knowing, you know, the basic like, you know, carry your stuff close to you or or always have like a copy of your passport ready. And, you know, those are just kind of like basic protocol. But I do feel this sense of protection and I also feel this very deep connection to my intuition and I follow that. So if something ever feels a little bit weird, you know, I'm quick to avoid it. And that's guided me through and I, you know, thankfully, or in Egypt, we say alhamdulillah, which means like, thank God that, you know, nothing has happened, you know, anything too crazy has happened in my life. So I'm, I think that's kind of my guide is that inner uh, intuitive piece about me. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about comedic yoga. And, um, you know, one of the things we discuss with uh, Bibi is the fact that, um, you know, there isn't, especially in the States, there isn't a POC space for yoga. Like there's like a really weird uncomfortability. I talked about my experience walking into yoga classes and like immediately turning around and leaving because either I didn't feel skinny enough or I didn't feel white enough or like I was like decked out in the best athleta or Lululemon enough or, you know, just all of these things <laughs> that I just felt like or like not flexible enough. And just all of the stuff I just kind of felt like mm, maybe this isn't my space. I'm going to go to Zumba. You know what I mean? Like, right. So right, like, totally. I, and I want to be at yeah. yoga. Um, what did you ever have that feeling where you just kind of felt like you didn't fit in yoga wise? Have you always felt like you belong to yoga? Like what? Tell me a little bit about being a woman of color with yoga? Yeah. You know, I, um, it's interesting because I started getting into yoga in Los Angeles and Los Angeles is, is pretty diverse. So walking into the yoga spaces, I never felt, um, I never felt like I didn't belong in, in the yoga classes because of, uh, my skin color or I, I mean, I just never felt like that, but I do, I did notice the lack of, um, women of color. For sure. I mean, that's something that you notice right away. It's usually, you know, like white girls, blonde hair, blue eyes. I mean, it's like the typical Los Angeles scene for sure. Um, 
I didn't, I never let that kind of intimidate me, but I did question, you know, whether or not yoga, I, I kind of questioned like whether or not this is for me because there, because we weren't represented, but I never felt like, you know, like I wasn't, I never felt like I was looked at in the wrong way for being in the class or something like that. So I think that's why I did gravitate towards comedic yoga, which is, you know, African yoga, because it, I felt a deep connection to um, an ancient practice that's been practiced, you know, for almost 4,000 years ago, and it was practiced by African people. So I, I definitely have an affinity towards towards comedic yoga because of the lack of representation in in modern yoga, I guess you can call it. How often is yoga practiced like in Egypt currently? Is it is it as popular as it was since comedic yoga is from Egypt? No, you know, not too many people practice yoga in Egypt. It's it, there's it's an emerging market. The more that I'm here, the more that I see people are interested in it and interested in taking classes. But um, yoga is really reserved for the like wealthy uh, communities in Egypt, which is you know mostly in Cairo and like specific areas in Cairo. But yeah, I don't see yoga practice much at all here. What is the main difference that you would say between comedic yoga and like vinyasa or you know? Yeah, the um, so most of the poses in comedic yoga are a lot more angular. Like you'll hold a 90 degree angle with like your elbows and you'll, you'll hold that pose a lot more, even with the wrists. Like sometimes you'll make a 90 degree angle with your wrist. So some of the angles are a bit different. Um, and also it's, it's less of like a flow. Like I know with vinyasa and hatha yoga, there's a lot of flow. You, you know, you kind of go down into cobra and come up and, and flow into each pose. But with comedic yoga, there's specific sequences that you do and they're all intended to activate um, like a different aspect of your consciousness. And it's connected to uh, the information that's in the ancient hieroglyphics. So for example, there's a comedic yoga sequence called Haru Salute to the Sun. And Haru is another name for Horus. And then of course the sun is is raw. So there's this sequence and it's con- the way that it works is you kind of, you hold both of your hands up to the sun and you're doing a lunge. That's like the end part of the, of the posture. And it's supposed to um, kind of remind you of equilibrium and remind you of your ability to direct yourself and direct your will. And that's why you hold your, your hands up towards the sun, which is like illumination and information and light. So, um, kind of like the basic principles of why each pose is is done is is a bit different than in like hatha or vinyasa yoga. Okay, I see. And so let me ask you about self-care and things like that. Obviously, you are a very intuitive person. I know that you are like completely mind, body, and soul. Every time I stay with you, it's like, I feel like I, I feel healthier when I leave. But cause, oh, thank you, Sarita. I, <laughs> tell me a little bit about like, uh, how do you practice self-care uh, when you're traveling? Yeah. You know, the heart, it's been really hard, actually. I'm not going to lie. It's been very difficult in Egypt. Time just seems to be so much different in Egypt. It feels like I'm living in some sort of vortex. And the more that I talk to people who are Egyptologists or who study astrology or astronomy or the, or the pyramids, and they all tell me, yeah, there's something different about the energy in Egypt in the way that it's connected and aligned with 
you know, like the cosmos. So I think there's something different and that's not an excuse, but everybody is on their own time here. It's, it's almost as if, if you, if you try to stick to a schedule, you try to remain on time. It's like swimming against the current. Like you're not flowing with life. So it's been really hard for me to stick to a self-care regimen. What I try to do the most is remain committed to waking up and getting some self-care routine done in the morning. So whether that's trying to wake up like before the sun and reading maybe like the four agreements or reading something that'll ground me for the day and then practicing a little bit of yoga or stretching or something to kind of get me set for the day. And I've noticed if I do that, then I'll make better decisions throughout the day. And I'll maybe I'll choose a, sa- a salad instead of like french fries, or I'll remind myself to drink more water, just little things throughout the day. And then that just kind of flows into creating a better lifestyle instead of little spurts of self-care. Okay. And um, I want to ask you a few more questions about what you what kind of tips would you give to someone who is interested in like living life how you live it? Like basically you're not one of the things I always admired about you is that you're not afraid to get up and go, um, which I'm kind of similar to that. But I'm not as adventurous. You definitely as you. are. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely are, Sarita. But, yeah, <laughs> you're not afraid to like, you know, just pack up leave what would you say to someone um who inspires to kind of live live their life this way and you know maybe is a little scared or nervous like what advice would you give like you know we know we're not rich we know we're not you know like what would you say yeah for sure you know it's um it is a challenging thing it's I'm not gonna say it's easy or it's gonna be seamless. There are definitely days where I'm like, oh my God, I'm right here in the middle of the Middle East. Who would have thought I would be like, I sometimes it still overwhelms me. But um, I guess my advice is, it's pretty simple. It's really just to trust that you're going to be okay. And know that no matter what, it's your decision. It's your decision to be okay. So if you know that, then you're going to make steps and you're going to make strides to make sure you make it work. And growing up in, you know, not having a lot of money with like our family and kind of hitting rock bottom just in high school showed me that I don't need a lot to, to be happy. And so if you know that you can live minimally, then I think you'll take more risks and you might be a little bit more fearless. If you know that you can handle a day where you might not have every luxury item that you think or your phone might break or just little things that we're so accustomed to, then you'll be fine. Because really the only thing you need other than, you know, like good health, obviously you want to stay healthy and things like that. But other than that, you just need yourself and maybe like a, you know, a place to stay. And the motivation and the determination to just make some money, it's so easy to make money that, and I never realized this until like I decided to just get up and start traveling. It is so easy to make money, especially in countries that are not like westernized. There's always a way to make some extra cash if you ever need it. So just rest assured that you're going to be fine and life is short. Take the chance. Nice. And this is my last question for you. Out of all the places you've been, what is your favorite? Egypt. (laughs) 
Egypt. Egypt is my favorite, which is why I live here probably. It's so real and it is such a great teacher, especially for people who are from other cultures. It's taught me so much about like what I believe. It's challenged what I believe. It's challenged, you know, who I think I am and like if that even really matters. <laughs> you know, it's challenged it's challenged my life in general. It's really been a growing experience. And on top of all of that, this place has so much ancient history and the the knowledge that is here, there's an essence of Egypt that's been passed down since the ancient civilization. And sometimes you'll meet people who, they won't tell you they have this connection to it, but after speaking with them or maybe something will happen and you'll see that and it's magical and it happens not often, but when it does, it makes everything, all of the hassling, all of the inconveniences, like bad Wi-Fi, it makes all of it worth it. So I, um, yeah, Egypt is my favorite place. Nice, well, hopefully I'll get out there to see you soon. Please, please come visit Sarita, please. I want to really bad. You might stay, you might stay though. So <laughs> oh, I can't stay. <laughs> I'm warning you. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's tell the people where they can find you if you want some people to follow you and how they can see your stories and stuff like that. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sarah West, S-A-R-E-H-W-E-S. I also have a blog that I launched um, recording. It's like an online journal. I'm just writing about my time in Egypt, and that is sarahwesley.com. So either one of the two is good. Wonderful. Thank you, Sarah. I love you. <laughs> Thank you, Serena. I love you too, and I miss you, and we'll talk. Yes. <laughs> Bye. And so, BB and Sarah, thank you guys so much for being with us. We have BB McGill, yogi, DJ, producer, and Beyonce's former lead guitarist for her all-female band, The Sugar Mamas. Thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we're going to start off. Uh, Madone's going to kind of take the lead on this one. Yeah, for sure. I kind of want to start off with belonging and yoga and um you know, we launched On She Goes with this statement of we belong here. That sentiment was partially inspired by something that Jessamine Stanley recorded and talked about. Like, it's very easy to feel like when you're the only one in a room that you don't belong. Um, and I could see how that could be applied in yoga, but also in travel when, you know, people are like, you should really go to Eastern Oregon, but mm, I don't know how they feel about black people. And it's just like, oh, cool. I now am not able to have an experience that other people enjoy because I may feel a way or may be treated a certain way. So anyway, bringing it back to yoga, <laughs> um, I feel definitely in LA, definitely in Portland, yoga classes are spaces where I haven't been represented. Um, I would practice yoga at a studio. It's not actually a studio. It's a clothing store. And you know how they'll do community classes once a week. And they have artwork everywhere from their campaigns. And it's like not a single person of color ever. And it wasn't until maybe two years after going new campaign look. There's one girl who's like super mixed, beautiful curly hair, you know, a more acceptable kind of person of color. Um, but, Phoebe, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your experience in relationship with 
yoga and the community and being a person of color in those spaces? Sure. Well, I mean, I guess I have to start, start by letting people, you know, be aware of the fact that I started doing yoga in 1996, uh, obviously, well, it was very popular. It's always been popular since it came to the United States in the early 1900s, but it just gets more and more popular. So me being a, 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 a Moorish, a dark-skinned person growing up in a Jewish neighborhood, I was always used, in, in Colorado, I was always used to being the only black person wherever I went. And I, I didn't care. It's like, whatever I'm going to do and whatever I need, I'm going to go do it and, and get it, regardless of who's there and how they're treating me. So when I started doing yoga in 1996, yeah, I was always the only black person there, and I didn't care. So fast forward, you know, I do my teacher's training in 2004 in Thailand. I start teaching in Los Angeles in 2005, 2006, I moved to Portland 10 years ago, and I'm doing yoga. I have a regular practice. Portland does not have very many people of color, let alone African people of color. So again, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going in here to get this class, you know, get my yoga on because it's helping keep me balanced. It's not until the last couple of years, because I've traveled so much, uh, that I'm not really here. So, and when I am here, I stay to myself because I'm tired and I need to rejuvenate. So the last couple of years, I, I was talking to some friends. They're like, yeah, there's a PCOC group here. There's people of color. I didn't really know what that was. I'm like, really? I can connect with more people of color here? That's cool. So I started hearing more stories of people not feeling like Portland's treating them well. People going to yoga class and, and not feeling like they're accepted, people being straight up rude and not acknowledging them. I was like, I don't have those experiences, but this isn't okay. Just because I haven't had those experiences, I don't like this. I'm in the yoga industry. I don't like the way they market to a, a stereotypical Caucasian, blonde, blue-eyed, 100-pound people who look like models and actors, which they are. So I, I, I became active, and I'm like, I, you know... I need to do something about this. I need to say something about this. I need to help support my community of dark, melanated people. Um, the more stories I hear, the more upset I get about, you know, the appropriation of the colonizers, the Europeans, who basically take everything that people of color have created and take credit for it and then leave us out. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm at right now, which is why I, I created Yogis of Color Crushing It, which is a safe place for people of color, people who identify as people of color who are melanated, whether you're Asian, you know, whether you're African, whether you're Latin, to come and be empowered and to have this practice and to be able to practice it and benefit from it, you know, and it, the, the joy of seeing everybody show up and their faces is just... It's so inspiring. So that's that's my focus right now. I love it because I've noticed just people from all walks of life and a mother and a daughter being there together. You know, I feel like it's a place that I could take my mom to or my aunt to. And you just see people that I've never seen in yoga classes that I've been mm -hmm. to and people who are just like comfortable mm -hmm. to just like be there and even like getting people together afterwards for the photo, recording the class. Let's go get juice afterwards. Like mobbing as a group of people That's of color right. in the streets of Portland is pretty dope. And it's interesting to see that reaction. Mm -hmm. You already touched on it a little bit, but 
Can you talk about the relationship that people of color have to yoga? Yeah, you know, I'm still I'm still learning about that because I'm still uh, introducing myself to that community and, and inviting that community to me so that we can be together. But for the longest time, I just thought people of color didn't do yoga because they weren't there. They were never around. I'm like, okay, well, they don't do yoga. I, you know, I started skimming the uh, social media and I'd see, you know, one, oh, there's a person of color doing yoga. Awesome. And then I'd try to connect with the people they were associated. And I started to see amazing practices, strong practices, serious, dedicated practices of African people doing their yoga practice at home and taping it. And I was like, one after another. And I'm like, damn, because their their practices were so, you know, you didn't have, once again, this typical blonde girl in front of a waterfall. No, they're in the basement with these ugly extension cords and that picture crooked on the wall doing their practice. Yeah. And it was inspiring. Mm-hmm. So that's my, that, that inspires me because that's real. That's sincere. They're not doing it to impress people with their pose. They're, they're getting it. Mm-hmm. You know, Can I they're, show? they're healing themselves. Can I show a question? Um, like hearing you speak about this, it's making me think about all of the beauty that surrounds yoga when it comes to like media and things like that. There always has to be like a perfect landscape. Because like it's funny because like, I've never seen like no one ever shows that image of someone doing yoga in their living room with like a kid going crazy in the background and like the dog whatever yeah like it's always like oh there's we're perfect look how great my pose is look how skinny I am look how like you know like my makeup is hmm I'm not sweating like it's never this like because I go to when I've gone to yoga and I've, I've actually shied away from it personally because I'm intimidated by it a little bit, mainly because of the images I see around it. And like, I've walked into a yoga class before or like walked up, like, I'm going to do yoga today. I'm going to the gym and I'm going to go to this yoga class. And I walked in and be like, I'm not going. You know what I mean? And I changed my mind. I'm like, I'll just lift some weights or something instead. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like, why do you think that there needs to be a beauty around it? Like everybody else can show, like when you're working out and other exercise activities, they show the ugly side of it. Why do you feel like yoga... In the media, they feel this need to make it look like it's this pristine, beautiful, flawless thing. Yeah, it's just like everything else, you know, that sells. They're making it into—it's it's a marketing scheme. It sells, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's not real. It's not what yoga is about. Yoga isn't about being perfect. It's not about being beautiful. And what they're doing is encouraging the very things that we need to detach ourselves from. Mm -hmm. No one should feel intimidated coming to a yoga class because they have a couple extra pounds on them because of how they look or the clothes they're wearing. You know, everybody should feel welcome to come to a yoga class and not be worried about what it looks like on somebody else's mat. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- I have a I have a problem with that. Um, the Western world is just screwed screwed everything up like they always do. Mm-hmm. Seriously, mm-hmm. it's true. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm curious about the origins of of yoga. Miron mentioned to me the other day when we kind of came up with the idea to do this episode. Yoga came from us. It did. Yeah, it I would did. love to know more about that. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Um, I learned this in. Probably early 2000s, maybe 2003, I was in Buenos Aires, Argentina, 
And when I, I was going to be there for three weeks. So whenever I travel, the first thing I do is I get into the hotel and I go to concierge and say, where's the nearest yoga studio? So I'm going to practice. There were no yoga studios. There was only the University of Yoga. And I called them to see if I could go. And they're like, this is a University of Yoga. You can't just come take a class. I'm like, but I'm going to be here three weeks. I was freaking out. <laughs> I was like, I need to do yoga. So they made an exception. There was an English-speaking woman there. And she agreed to teach me yoga every day. But she taught me based on their university. And she told me, she said, you know, yoga was brought to um, India by a Nubian race. I'm like, wait, huh? A Nubian race? What What do you mean? She said, it was brought from Africa. Hmm. And I went home and I did the research. And ever since then, I have not stopped researching this information. Yoga came from Africa, like everything else did, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yoga was just shamanic practices. You know, we had shamans in our communities that would teach the people to connect more with the divine, to connect more with nature. And it always involved some type of movement, breath work, dance, music. These are just shamanic practices that our indigenous ancestors, I don't care if they were in Africa, China, we all did this. This is old. You know, our, our ancestors studied energy. We don't study energy. Yeah. And the energy is real. Yes, it's true. When it was taken to India, it was later because it was always an oral uh, uh, tradition that was passed down orally. Yes, Patanjali um, in India systemized it and put it in some sort of written form. That is true. And thank you for that. But don't take credit away from Africa, mm -hmm. whether it's Nubia, the Sudan or Egypt. Mm -hmm. It came from Africa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What has been the reaction from white people, I suppose, about making these spaces uh, within the mm. yoga practice in a, in a space that they have traditionally claimed as their own. I'm curious. So my experience with these spaces being created for people of color to practice are that Europeans, white people, colonizers, whatever you want to call them, are not used to not being included, mm. you know, because they take everything from, from us. Um, they're like, well, but, so I can't go? Um, no, you're not a person. Do you identify as a person of color? Do you feel you've been discriminated against because you have melanin in your skin? No, you, this isn't for you. This is an empowerment focus group for people of color so we can feel safe. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of us don't feel safe when we go to a class with all of you because you don't acknowledge us. So this is for us because we understand some of the same issues and challenges that we go through in life. So a lot of people are very supportive, though. I will tell you, I will go out and somebody I don't even know will be like, I just love, I love when you post those yoga, yogis of color. It's so inspiring. Keep doing that. More of that, please. Because some non-people of color are tired, too. Mm. They're tired of seeing the beautiful person in the perfect clothes and the blonde hair and the blue eye and the, that strong, perfect model's body. They're tired of that, too. Mm -hmm. So I would honestly say I get more support than I get resistance mm. from it. I would say you describing that makes me think of our experience on building On She Goes, yeah. where you have people who are um, those on the outside 
where it just feels like we have to justify the existence and the importance of having a space for women of color in particular. And a lot of others, like when we were at My People's Market, a lot of white women coming up like, this is so amazing. Like, I'm trying to include more diversity in this. Where can you help me? And you know what I mean? So like a lot of support in that way, but it is very exhausting and trying to justify your existence because it even though it's the existence of this brand that we've built it is really the existence of us as women of color because mm-hmm. we are both the audience and the makers and mm-hmm. and stuff so I just feel like that really resonated with yeah. some I mean, of our experiences that's true there's always this convincing that needs to be done where it's like it's almost like just trust me that I know that this is needed because I don't have a resource. It just takes like a level of awareness of like, people don't believe something's happening if it's not happening to them. Right. Yeah, it's like, I mean, Amy knows, like when we were trying to even get like writers and stuff, and they're like, there's so many really great white writers. Why are you not, you know, using these white travel writers? And Amy's like- Because, because- it's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, because they already have jobs. That's like- right. It's not just the convincing part. It's the then they come back with the well, this happened to me, and then it becomes like the oppression Olympics, and it's oh, like please. hang on because we go back <laughs> decades, no centuries, idea. eons. The you oppression know? Olympics, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like, well, I was discriminated against. It's like okay, but you might be a white man, so maybe it was because of something you did. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, um, kind of taking it back to yoga, and this is like slightly unrelated, but like my boyfriend is like a thicker black man and and, uh, and he really likes yoga oh he really likes it but he should come soon yeah yes. he should come he'll go to the classes that we have sometimes but like you know he wears his little like pants that are kind of more fitting and like just so he can like have flexibility yes. and stuff he's not restricted and like he's definitely felt strange because he feels like I'm not as flexible as other people it's probably not weird to that. see me in there like people have like laughed at him like going into the class and stuff I think he's kind of stopped for that reason mm. yeah we're gonna we're gonna get him to your class like. guys come to my class too they yeah sure do. but that's like kind of goes with like the whole like shaming thing it's like why can't you just move through the world and not be you know, looked at crazy or shamed for something that, you know, is just inherently who you are. And those experience, whether I'm the one having the experience or somebody I know does, stops me from wanting to go to certain places. So now I'm not able to live my my best life, my highest, mm-hmm. whatever, because I'm afraid of being treated that way again or being treated the way that somebody I know was treated. Yeah. You know? So like, how do you yeah. break through? Yeah, like, and I'm, I'm think I'm realizing now because I've stayed away from yoga specifically for the reason of feeling like I didn't fit in, or like I was too. You like, better go in there and get that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've gotten a little gassy in yoga. Full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, just like I think the movement and like the relax and like trying to relax and then just like all the movement and stuff, and I'm like. Oh, God. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's probably TMI. Like, in the it happens. It's okay. you know, but like, it makes me feel like, oh, my God, this is embarrassing. But anyway. Oh! <laughs> I did it to myself. That's funny. I did have a question about... Um, I've never been in a POC-only yoga class. I, I literally can't imagine how amazing that would be. But I'm wondering if you can speak more about like your experience and how it feels to be in a POC-only space when you're practicing yoga. Um... It feels like at home. 
I, I mean, I don't know really how to describe it. It's together. It's like tribe. It's like family. It's joy, pure joy. When I look around the class and everybody is just, their face is glowing. Y- you know, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's it's why I'm so passionate about this. Yeah, I had the idea to do it, to support my people. Now that I've done it and I experienced it and the people get emotional, it's, I don't know. It's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. I don't want to stop. Has it changed how you feel about... Okay, well, let me start and share my experience. I've been I started doing Kundalini at an amazing studio, and I love it. And I just sometimes have trouble that like every single instructor is white in a very in the most spiritual type of yoga. Like, has how has that changed like your practice and being in classes led by white white yogis? Yes, non-POC? it has changed. I almost can't stand it anymore. Um, you know, if there were more POC classes, I would be in those, but I'm so aggravated when I, when I go in the class for many reasons, because I'm not represented there. The teacher does not represent me. And I'm tired of somebody telling me how to, what to do with my body that just took a two week course, paid a bunch of money and got a certificate, but has not lived their yoga. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're just you're teaching very much out of balance. You're teaching what you were scripted to teach by people who just wanted to make money by getting more people to do their teachers training. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all that. But I'm I'm like <laughs> aggravated. Yeah. What does it mean to live your yoga? Live your yoga means that yoga isn't just about movement or what we call asana it's got many limbs it has to do with how you treat people how you live being aware of your energy what you put in your body the conversations that you have how you walk throughout life and that's what it is you have to live yoga before you start teaching it to somebody else you just do that's a really good point I feel like I would not want to take a yoga class from somebody who's not, like, actually living this, mm-hmm. right. like, you know, this feeling of, like, being able to, like, control your energy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Most balanced. teachers, honestly, yeah. don't have a consistent practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just teaching you when they're not even practicing. Mm-hmm. So. That kind of brings me to something I wanted to talk about a little bit. Obviously, you've traveled a ton. What are some other self-care things mm. that you practice when you're traveling and you're... You know, you're constantly on the road and stuff like that. Yeah, I learned very quickly that, you know, instead of bringing more clothes and all my cool tennis shoes, (laughs) that went out the door and I started bringing essential oils and superfoods and supplements on the road and lots of hair and skin products. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, That's pretty much what's in my, my, uh, my suitcase when I travel and very, very little, very simple clothing um but essential oils like that's a that's a huge thing for me you know essential Mm -hmm. oils that that is the blood the life force of the plant Mm -hmm. and um our ancestors that's what we use plant medicine essential Mm -hmm. oils you know and and the tombs of egypt when the raiders came in and took everything out of the tombs they left the jewels and the rubies and the the precious stones and took the oils Mm -hmm. the alabasters of oils so uh, I've got uh, probably over a hundred and something of every type of essential oil mm-hmm. 
you know, not necessarily just for me, but I want to have it if something comes up, whether it's a virus or a flu or a skin issue or a headache or for, for myself, but for the people around me. And mm-hmm. I, I started to get called Dr. Beebe on the road. <laughs> you know, they were coming to me for my essential oils. Yeah. Amazing. Which ones specifically? Any oils in particular that you stand out to you that are... Um, yeah, I use blends. I'm a, I'm a do- doTERRA girl. I just got to say that. I'm not trying to, you know, advertise, but I no, like yeah. doTERRA. The rose oil is really great for heart. Peppermint and lavender are staples. Um, and for viruses and infections, um, oregano and thyme. Mm. Oregano and thyme are really good. How about, like, being on a plane for a long time? And, I mean, like, obviously as a yogi, you probably have really good flexibility and and balance and everything, but like, how do you like stay loose and, and maintain your, your peace and your feeling like, you know, you know, taking 10 and 12 hour flights and oftentimes a 17 hour flight when you're going to Australia or New Zealand, a six hour flight is nothing. Hmm. It, it's like, Oh, only six hours. And it's like, for, you know, you're there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anything under 10 hours is nothing, but it's important to drink water. It's mm-hmm. important to stay hydrated because, that also helps with uh, the swelling of the feet. Uh, to wear compression socks really mm. helps. Mm, that's a good idea. And to stretch, do some stretching and some forward falls and some things on the plane, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, bring some good music, good books. What do you listen to as a musician yourself? Oh gosh, you know, I being around so much music all the time, when I listen to music, I need it to be kind of chill. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do love electronic music, mm-hmm. glitch hop, house. But mostly I like more tribal, very mid-tempo to down-tempo electronic music that just helps to relax me. I don't need to be all <laughs> hype, <laughs> hype all the time, you know? I'm trying to, like... <laughs> deflate yeah yeah mine is so hot energy just in case something pops off on the plane <laughs> right yeah it's a lot of like aggressive music Ooh, wait, of rap. yeah good <laughs> you never know what do you think not like i because i'm always like at the window seat like can't even get out the aisle if i wanted to so i don't know why but i'm just like yes turn up yeah. i guess it depends on where where you're going to like I'm if never I'm never going anywhere high stress. <laughs> um, I'm wondering how travel has changed for you from touring versus traveling to go like lead a retreat or speak at a conference versus traveling to kick it. That's a very good question. Um, when I did my last tour with Beyonce and the Beyonce Mrs. Carter tour, and then directly followed by the Jay Z and Beyonce on the Run tour. I decided that, yeah, it's time for me to put both feet into health and wellness and to not always be starting my own thing and then dropping it to go back on tour. You know, people were like, because I was always gone teaching a retreat or workshops all over the world. People were like, well, you left music because you wanted to be home more. Because I did, you know, my, my, my dog was getting older and my mom and dad were getting elderly and I wanted to be closer to home. People were like, you're still traveling a lot. And yeah, I am still traveling a lot, but it's nothing like I, I was traveling with, with you know, Beyonce. And I, I like it because it's just me. Mm. I'm not traveling with an entourage of people, mm. you know, and I get to decide where I want to go and who I want to be teaching with and what I'm doing. And it's just a lot more 
relaxed and rewarding mm. to have that choice. So as far as traveling for leisure, I'm trying to do that more. I don't, I don't really get to. The most I might get to travel is on my own is to Brighton Bush Hot Springs or mm-hmm. to the forest somewhere, you know, where I can go camp or hike or whatever. But, you know, I want to go to Iceland. I want to go to India. I want to go to Africa on my own leisure. But it's hard to do that because when do I plan that? Because I'm always traveling for work. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get there. What's your favorite place that you've been, even though you haven't really had a chance? You, so you mentioned work, but where's like, have you ever been to a place that stands out to you that's my favorite place? Yeah, there's a couple. Ethiopia. Ooh. Ethiopia ah. was just incredible. The people there, the love, so not like what we're brought up to believe Ethiopia is about, you mm-hmm. know, starving babies and mm-hmm. big heads and big bellies and. You know, yeah, there's that. But these are very highly intelligent, educated, kind people. Mm -hmm. Just good energy. A lot of love. You know, when you go to Ethiopia, they tell you, welcome home. Didn't Mm -hmm. matter where you're from, what country, what you look like, welcome home. Love that. That's that's the cradle, you know, of of creation. And another place is Egypt. Mm -hmm. I loved Egypt. uh, My hotel was on the Red Sea. As soon as I open my door, there's a sand, there's a Red Sea, and I did yoga on the Red Sea. I went snorkeling in the Red Sea. I spent, like, days with a medicine man uh, that I just stayed in his shop, and he would teach me things, and I played with his herbs. It was just Ethiopia and, and Egypt are my favorite places. That's awesome. Was there any place that you've traveled to that you were pleasantly surprised about um, that you didn't think that you would have the best time in but ended up like having a great time or better time than you thought you would have? You know, I never knew what to expect, but I was always just so open. I would maybe say Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, Nigeria was a big deal for us. We, because there was so much fear, like there was fear, 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 like you got to get all these shots or you could die. And it's, you know, it's a lot of violence and it's dangerous. And like we had all these talks and mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not getting those damn vaccinations because they're dangerous, Mm. you know, so I didn't. Mm. And I got there and everybody was like, wouldn't leave their room. But I had a good time there. And eventually I got the girls to like, I'm like, you guys, you're missing out. You're you're over here in fear. You took those damn vaccinations and you're hallucinating and you're seeing things and you're not feeling well. Did you read the side effects on the that's what happens? But I had a good time, and eventually I got them to loosen up and, and, and get out a little bit. It's like, I always wonder, I'm like, that's a lot of vaccinations to put in your body in such a, for such a short amount of time. And, like, right. all of that stuff. Like, is it essential? Do you really need it? And, like, I feel like it's this country. A lot of times, like, the United States, they convince you that you need all that stuff. And you were fine? Mm-hmm. I was fine. Everybody who took it had issues. Like, there was the psychosis thing that when you take that malaria shot, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and if... There was one shot that I had to take in order to get into the country, but there were like two or three and some pills that I didn't have to take, so I didn't take them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, that's interesting. I've never heard that perspective Mm. before. I've always heard, you have to take everything. Mm -hmm. Take it all. Take all the shots. Research. A lot of it, it's like recommended vaccinations. Sometimes it depends if there's like an outbreak or something, Mm -hmm. and they want you to be vaccinated so that if you're visiting that country, then you don't bring it back to your country of origin. But like you're saying, a lot of it's recommended. Like they're not going to check to see if you got vaccinated or not. It just depends. Yeah. 
I guess I think a lot of people maybe don't know that it's a recommendation. That's really cool to to know that. If you have to have that vaccination, then you have to show proof from the doctor assigned, you know, statement that you got it. But if it's recommended, you don't. Your experience traveling as a woman of color, do you feel that? Do you feel like how you're treated based on if you're on tour with Beyonce versus if you're doing traveling on your own or if you're in a different part of the world? You know, honestly, nothing has stood out to me. I mean, if I was able to really think about it for a long period of time, I might find a couple of random instances. But, yeah, the discrimination and racism that I may have experienced at any time in my life, it's been very subtle. But subtle is still traumatizing. And and I'm I'm starting to feel it now. You know, I the the racism uh, because of my my melanated skin is nowhere near what so so many stories I've heard from people. But it's painful because it catches up with you, and you're like, damn. I guess one of the things that I always think about is like in relation to why we started the website in the first place. When you do grow up with, because like even if you haven't experienced the trauma directly, it's still passed on. It is. You know, so it's like it's the other part of having the inexperience as well because you're, you have that trauma. I don't know. I feel like I'm talking in circles. So no, I'm trying no. to make a point, but I'm having a hard time. I no, get but it, it makes sense because it's like when you were saying, even if it's subtle, it's still traumatic. It's like those are. Um, little, little jabs to tell you you don't belong. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why would I want to travel somewhere and spend my money and my time and vacation in a place where I might get traumatized mm-hmm. in that way, you mm-hmm. know? And the fact that just the fear of that, even if it never happens, and the mindset that you're going into with that could prevent you from having an amazing experience that other people get to have who don't look like you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. How do you let, not let something like that discourage you and say, you know what, I'm going to just I'm gonna just stay back, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, you, you, you have to know. I mean, we know that people like this exist everywhere. Just know that it has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. That's your problem. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with your karma because mm-hmm. that's going to come back to you. Mm-hmm. I may not see it, but, and you just have to go on. That's a good point. That's also a really good mentality to, mm-hmm. like, take through the world. Like, I feel sorry for you that you're so, you know, so ill that you have to look at me with this, like, this lens, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to wrap up. Uh, BB, thank you so much for coming to be with us. This was oh, awesome. It's my pleasure. So much great information. I think that people, I mean, I'm sure people are already following you by the tons, but can you tell people where they can find you, whether it's on social media, and also find your um, POC yoga classes? Absolutely. Um, well, I'm on all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, BB McGill. That's B-I-B-I-M-C-G-I-L-L, B as in boy. And um, all my POC classes I announce anything I do, I, I announce on social media, but also it's posted on my calendar on my website, bbmcgill.com. Cool. And we'll have the website and her social channels on our podcast page. Um, and I also want to thank uh, Sarah for um, joining us as well. Oh, and then also we're working on doing a women of color crushing it yoga class with BB um, in Portland sometime in March. So we'll post that information up for all the women of color in Portland who'd like to join us. 
It's gonna be fun. Thank you guys for having me on. Of course, I'll love to go. come to that class. I can't wait. Come on. I'll drink my probiotics first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, drink it after. <laughs> <laughs> probiotics after. Okay. Oh, she's Noted. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. That's it. Yay! Yay.